Welcome to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. These are recorded during our weekly services in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our prayer is that these messages help you grow in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. Yes, Exodus. I realize we're talking about Esther, but go to Exodus 17. That's page 57 in those softcover Bibles that are in your seats. And I'll be reading from there. It'll be on the screen uh, as well. We're continuing our series called Brave. Um, I'll do my best to follow up. I listened to Pastor Dre's message. It was fantastic last week. So I sincerely appreciate Dre and Carrie and Jason and everybody that was here last week. Um, every week, every, every night during the week, we would get together as a team when we were in Mexico and we would do a hero of the day. And everybody would kind of say who their hero of the day was, and it was other team members, and what you had done, and why, you know, what they noticed. And it was a way of us encouraging. We were participating in the encouragement thing too. And uh, last Sunday, our we had a service in in Mexico, and our our hero of the day was um, everybody here who helped us uh, have the freedom to go. And so, can we just can we just thank everybody? It's it's not easy when. You know, pastors and worship leaders and administrators and everybody just leave. Um, and just, you know, it's a lot of work that gets done every week. At least, that's, it's an hour of work, at least, between us. You know, we only work one hour a week on Sundays. Um, but uh, it was, I appreciate you picking up that hour. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, but it was, it was a great week in Mexico. I really enjoyed ourselves. Obviously, the, churro, the churros were so good. The tacos were so good. I enjoyed them a little too much. Um, but the, let me tell you, the tacos were so good that the taco place actually remembered us and gave the missionary a leather jacket to both me and John with the taco place embroidered on the back. So we have like leather motorcycle jackets from this taco place because they like it because we were there so many times. And one of the nights I wasn't feeling so well and I didn't go to the churro lady and she asked, where's Dan? There is a churro lady on a corner somewhere in Guadalajara who knows my name. Telling you, if you want to talk about pinnacles of success, I am there. I am there. But it was a great week. A lot of great experiences. Come next week, like I said, you'll hear all about what God is doing. Last Sunday, our team, though, did have an opportunity to gather together with their church uh, the church that we're partnering with in Tlahomolco, and uh, had a service. Um, it was a, it was a it was an incredible service. The miles uh, don't change the fact that God has one church. Uh, we we you know we weren't here, but you know it wasn't. I'll be honest with you, we didn't miss you. And I wanted you to hear this because we were with brothers and sisters. We were with the church. We felt home there. It wasn't like, well, we did, we missed church today. No, we were in church. We were with the church. It was just different names and different faces, but it was still the church. Um, and even now, they're gathering together at this time, right now. And it looks a little different than this. Um, there's concrete walls. Um, uh, half of the floor has a concrete slab. The other half would be uh, dirt and grass and uh, some bricks and some wood and like... They don't have a roof. Uh, there's just some tarps that are hung up. So during the service, I looked over and in the grasses, there was some hummingbirds just hanging out in the grasses during service. Um, uh, so there's four walls, half a floor, and tarps for a ceiling. But they're seeking to know God 
and to make him known just like we are here and now. Um, and it just, it never gets old that we're part of a family. That's so much bigger than the 150 to 200 people that are here every Sunday. Um, we're a church of billions. Think about that. We're a church of billions. It's estimated, you know, about two, two and a half billion people in, on the planet right now identify themselves as followers of Jesus Christ in some, in some way. We're two billion strong. This is not like a small church. Like, we're part of something much bigger. It's kind of hard to visualize. Right? It's kind of hard to see it, you know, because we gather together each Sunday in this little room here. But God's got one church, and we're part of something so much bigger. And that's why I love, you know, the opportunities to get away and remind myself of that. You know, they sang some of the songs we sing. Just, diff- just different language, but same songs, singing to the same God. And I'm telling you, they, they got joy, and it is, it's beautiful. Um, this month, our X Factor, each, each month we're throughout the year of this year, our year of multiplication, we're um, encouraging an X Factor, as you remember. And the X Factors are um, a way for you to grow your faith each month. And this month, the X Factor is encouragement. Pastor Dre shared about it, that you would encourage someone every day. Just be intentional to, encourage, to go out of your way to encourage somebody every day, to, to do something or say something encouraging. Um, so here's some encouragement for everyone. I'm going to get mine out of the way right now. Um, check off my box because that's important to me. Um, because of your relationship with God, you are automatically part of a billion-strong family. How's that for encouragement today? You're part of something awesome. It's a billion-strong family. Even though I was in Mexico, listen, miles don't matter. News came out about LeBron James, you know, leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers, the beloved team of our pastor Andre and his family, and going to the front-running Los Angeles Lakers, you know. And just so you know, I texted Pastor Andre from Mexico just to make sure he was okay, right? Just to make sure we were, like, he needed to know I have his back, right? And I know he's got mine. It doesn't matter, listen, where we go in the world. We're part of a family that's huge. And you need to know who's got your back and whose back that you have. And it's encouraging to know that you have people behind you. I just wanted him to know that, like, I was feeling the pain, you know, I didn't want him jumping off any bridges. Did you burn a jersey? Not yet. Not yet. All right. He might not yet. He, um, I heard they're like half off in all the NBA stores, all the LeBron jerseys. And so we're exploring the series of Esther. It's a series called Brave. And last week, Pastor Dre talked about Esther's upbringing as an orphan and uh, her journey to the palace as a queen. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go listen to it. It was a tremendous message. I listened to it. Um, while we were down there, we did have Wi-Fi in our hotel, so I was able to kind of ke- catch up. Um, it's this incredible story of how favor and kindness can encourage someone and give them courage to do some really uh, incredible things. Um, and we, each week you see these four commitments that are here on these banners that we've had made for this series. Um, these are four commitments that, you'll, that we make as members to each other at LifeTree. If you've been through our discovery courses, you know this, you've heard this before. Um, and uh, each week we highlight a different commitment that we make. And uh, last week it was, um, where was it? To give you what they have. Trying to see where is it? Right here. This is the image of a mosaic. 
And you can see this, I don't know if some of you can see it, but this is a mosaic, you know, and all the different things. And everybody's a different color and a different piece. But when we come together, make something incredible. You know, you give what you have to give. And by itself, it might just be a, look like a lumpy, misshapen piece of blue glass. But put together, it makes something absolutely beautiful. And that's what the church is. It's we come together and we bring each what we have encourage each other and it makes something really incredible. So it's that commitment that I'm going to give you what I have. And this week, I want to talk about this one here. It says, I won't give up on you. The image is a image of a man running. It's from the story of the, the prodigal son, if you're familiar with that story. This is, the, this is the father running after his son who's squandered his life and is coming back just to kind of say, at least I'm starving, at least I'll be a servant again. I know I won't be your son anymore. And the Father runs after him and shows him love and says, I won't give up on you. And it's that commitment that we make to each other to know that someone will never quit on us can be the difference between our success and our failure. To know that somebody won't give up on you. Do you have anybody in your life that makes that kind of a commitment to you? It says, no matter what, I won't give up on you. You know, who are the people in your life that have that kind of commitment to you? Because that commitment has some expectations. It, it expects that it's going to take time. There's an assumption that this is not like a one-time commitment. Like, I won't give up on you once. Right? There's sort of this expectation that that's over time. Right? There's also the expectation in there that you're probably going to mess up. So you could probably put the word in there like after I, like, still. I still won't give up on you. Right? There's this expectation that it's time and that there's going to be failure. But that when you fail, <clears throat> I won't leave. You can only make that kind of commitment to someone when you understand that God makes that kind of commitment to you. That's the reality with all of these commitments. These are commitments that God makes to us. And today I want to tell you the story of Mordecai, who's the man who adopted his orphaned younger cousin, Esther, and the kind of encouragement that he gave to Esther was an overflow of what God had given to him. But in order to tell you Mordecai's story, we have to go way back in history, which is why I had you turn to Exodus. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of a journey of history here, and then I'm going to try and wrap it all up. Um, but we have to go all the way back to the time of Moses, really. Esther, and we're talking about Moses, yes. I will do my best to kind of breeze through this here. Um, but So the people of Israel context had just been released from 400 years of slavery right uh so remember moses the exodus pharaoh right the whole movie remember this whole deal right um so they're about a month or so into the desert they've, they've escaped egypt they're out and they're about a month or so into that process um god has just miraculously provided food and water for them there's about a million people or so wandering in the desert They've just escaped, you know, from their 400 years of captivity. They're kind of like wandering, like, what do we do? This is all new to us. You know, they're kind of like, I mean, they don't have any idea what's going on. They're disoriented. They're wandering in this desert, following this guy who doesn't even want to be the leader. And they don't have food. God's providing miraculously, but this is crazy. And while they're still trying to process their escape, we read this. Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. It'll be on the screen or you can read along with me. But it says this. It says, while the people of Israel were still... At Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. They're just trying to get free. And now somebody decides, hey, look at those people. We should attack them. 
think about that. Like, don't just read through this and not like think about what's happening here. They're being attacked. Moses commanded Joshua, verse nine, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. He's tired. He's tired to hold his hand up. So he goes like this, and all of a sudden, like oh, the other guy, the bad guys start winning. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on, and they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. So this group of people, the Amalekites, attacked Israel unprovoked. They're just a group of people wandering in the desert. They're like, hey, let's go attack them. Not quality people, right? Let's just attack vulnerable. All right, that's what they're doing. But God gives Israel the ability to defeat the Amalekites. It says, after the victory, verse 14, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. Listen to this. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Come on. I'm going to erase the memory of these people from the planet. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And he said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. Let me just say here, if you're going to pick a fight, don't do it with God's people. You're going to pick a fight, don't do it with God's people. When God makes a promise, pay attention. He says, I'm going to erase the memory of them. How many have ever heard of the country of Amalek? Mm-mm. They weren't in the World Cup. I can tell you that. Now fast forward another 400 years. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Israel now has their first king, King Saul. They've asked for him. Samuel is the prophet who is the voice of God to the people at that time. And this is what we read. It will be on the screen. Verse 1 of chapter 15 of Sam. 1 Samuel says, One day Saul, Samuel said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. Verse 2. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Judgment day. 400 years later, God says, all right, it's time. We're going to bring their accounts to bear. Verse 3, now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. He left nothing out. Get them all. Wipe them out. What does God tell Saul to do? Wipe them out. What does he tell him to do? How, how, how should you destroy them? Completely. Completely. Okay. So, verse 4. Saul mobilized his army at Telaim. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. I mean, Israel's got their act together now. They've got a king. They've got an army. They've got, they got a place. They're, they're ready now to finally deal with the Amalekites. 
And Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. And Saul sent this warning to the Kenites, who were other people that lived in the area. He said, move away from them, or you're going to die with them. For you showed kindness to us, to the people of Israel, when we came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Verse 7, then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shore, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Hold on. What did he do? He captured the king Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. What did God say to do? Completely destroy everyone. Verse 9. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Is that what God said to do? Then the Lord said to Samuel, verse 10 and verse 11, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord, All night. God's trying to make good on His promise to bring justice on those who did wrong to Israel. And Saul fails to be obedient. I'll take what I want. And he spares one life. Just one. Agag. The king. How'd you like to be named Agag? What's your name? Agag. I'm sorry, you okay? No, that's my name. What's your name? Agag. Yeah, I said you're right. You see the routine there? How much difference can one guy make? Agag. Seriously, spare the king. What difference does it make? He's just being a compassionate guy. Isn't God overreacting here? Seriously, it's one man. Let's fast forward 530 years. We've just covered a lot of distance. 530 years, and we find ourselves in Esther, chapter 2. Pick it up in verse 5. It says, at this time, there was a man, Jewish man in the fortress of Susa, whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. It says this, his family had been among those whom King Jehoiachin of Judah had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. So once again, the Israelites are in captivity. These people just continue to be captives. They're not free. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. You know this story. You've heard all this. Pastor Dan, why are you talking about all that crazy history about the Amalekites? Let's read chapter 3 now. It says this. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the... What? Agagite. Over all other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. I'm sorry, what, what kind of man was he? An Agagite. Descendant of Agag. The king that should have been completely destroyed. Saul failed to do what he was told to do. Verse 2 says, All the king's officials would bow down before Haman, 
to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. You think Mordecai knew who Haman was? He understood that name. He knew the history. It would have meant nothing to you if I had said Haman the Agagite. But now that you know the history, and Mordecai knew the history, this is a symbol of our oppression and of our failure, and I will not bow down to him. Then the palace officials at the gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct. Since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew, says, listen, I am a Jew. He's not trying to hide it. I'm an Israelite. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. What does he do? Instead, he looks for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. See, Haman the Agagite, the Amalekite, still looking for a way to destroy the people of Israel. There is an enemy who is relentlessly seeking the demise of God's people. Haman knew what Mordecai represented. He was a living reminder of Israel's failure and he refused to bow down to him. My guess is that Mordecai knew this was going to be a problem. I don't think Mordecai went into that going, I'm just not going to bow. It's not going to be a thing. I think he knew. But he believed it was the right thing to do. He was convicted about this. I will. I refuse to bow down to this man who represents so much of our failure. Ever have that inner struggle between what you know is right and what's expected? You know what's right to do. But you know what everybody else is expecting you to do. So what gave Mordecai the courage to do what was right? I don't think he had the expectation that he would avoid consequences. I don't think that was it. I don't think Mordecai's going, ah, God's got it. I'm not going to be in trouble. He's going to fix everything. He didn't know how this story was going to end. I believe what gave Mordecai the courage to do what he did was the confidence that the God who had always been with Israel still was. He hadn't given up on them yet. I won't give up on you. He knew he didn't stand alone. See, there are times in life where we feel all alone. We're faced with a moment of decision. We know what is right. Stands in opposition to what is expected. And it feels like it's us against the world. You feel alone in your conviction. And in that moment, the one thing that can give us the courage to bravely choose what is right is the unshakable conviction that we are not alone. Somebody's got our back. God had promised almost a thousand years earlier that he would defend his people from those who attack them without cause. And this day for Mordecai, nothing's changed. It's a thousand years later, but it's nothing has changed. God is still 
faithful to his promise. And it gave Mordecai the fortitude to stand up against a man who represented the failure of his own people. See, because God refuses to give up on us even when we fail. Saul blew it. And now the people are in trouble again. God could have said, well, I gave you a chance. I tried. I did my part. Some of you feel that way. You feel like God has given you chance after chance after chance and He's taken them away because you blew it too much. God's given up on you. You'll be content to just be on the outskirts because it's good enough because you've blown it so many times. Yeah, God's just, He's moved on. I had my chance. God could have said that. But He doesn't say that. God sticks with His people. He says, I will run after you. I will not give up on you. That kind of faithful presence gave Mordecai uncommon bravery. So what this morning? So what? A couple of things. First, remind yourself daily who has your back. God has not given up on you. Let me read Psalm 27 for you. If you don't know Psalm 27, I would recommend you memorize it. It reads like this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, you ready for this? They will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Wait, wait patiently for the Lord. You ready? Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Remind yourself daily when you get up, maybe write it on your mirror, God's got my back. He doesn't give up on me ever. Ever. I tell you, when you know that the God who made the lightning and the thunder who tells the oceans where to stop, who gives breath to all beings, when you understand the God that controls the wind and the waves, the God who makes it all. And that God is for you. Show, tell me who you're scared of. The Amalekites? Agag? Come on. There is nobody... That can scare us. It gives you a little more courage when you understand who's got your back. Right? Who's got your back? Second thing. Refuse to give up on people who fail. God didn't quit on you when you fell short. Some of you in this room have cheated. You have lied. You've indulged. You've been weak. You've got condemnation and shame and guilt all over you. You say you've got secrets. God does not give up on you. 
God is a God of grace. There's a song, Nikki. It's nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. It is well with my soul. God does not give up on you. This is called grace. He don't deserve it, but He gives it anyway. It's really good stuff, just so you know. I think it's good stuff, especially since... I mean, this is speaking to me. I really, I think... This is just for me, so it's okay. I'm... God didn't give up on us. And He's not going to start now. Our willingness to stay with other people like that has the potential to change everything for them. It changes things when you know that somebody's not going to give up on you. See, again, we can only give to other people what God gives us. And God has given us that sense of, I'm not going to give up on you. No matter how much you blow it. He makes us brave and we can make others brave. Whoever you are. Wherever you are. Let me tell you, in this church, we won't give up on you. That's a commitment we make. Come to me broken. Come to us. Hey, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. We're not giving up on each other. I'm not going to allow anybody. Listen, we were on a trip for a week with people that we knew kind of okay, but didn't not terribly well. You get to know some family business after a week. You know what I'm saying? Like, day three, day four, you're like, yeah, that was cool before. Now it's annoying. That was funny then. Not so much now. People are, they can get a little, listen, that's just me, I know. I can get a little irritating. You know, my sarcasm wears after a while. Not going to give up on each other. It's hard work. It's costly. But it's real. That's real relationship. You don't just casually say, I'm not going to give up on you. Please don't say those words unless you mean them. But that's the kind of stuff God says to us. And that's the kind of stuff that makes people brave. To say, you know what? I'm going to courageously come forward here and push through my guilt and my shame because I know that people aren't going to give up on me just because of that. Shame drives people away. Grace draws them. And finally, consider your example. Mordecai adopted this young girl and raised her as his own daughter. She saw him give beyond what was expected. And Mordecai eventually comes to a point in the story where he challenges Esther to do something really hard. Parents, you'll know what I'm talking about here. Maybe bosses, if you're overseeing anybody, or teachers. You ever try and ask somebody to do something you haven't done? You don't have a whole lot of credibility. When you ask people to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. You know why Esther had the courage to do what she did? It's because she was being challenged by a man who exemplified courage. She had seen him stand up for his convictions. She said, he's not just telling me to do this, but he's showing me that it can be done. The power of example. 
When you do what's right, regardless of the cost, others are emboldened to do the same. There's a verse in 1 Timothy. It'll be on the screen. Chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. Well, that's a different version, but all right. It says, keep a close watch on how you live and your teaching. Stay true to what you to what is right for the sake of your own salvation. The salvation of those who hear you. Look at that. Stay true to what is right for your own sake, but also for the salvation of those who hear you, who watch you, who follow you. Your example. What you do matters. Both for you and for those that watch you. Yeah. I'm going to call up Nikki. We're going to close this morning. I want to tell you a story as we close. It's a little girl named Mary. She had grown up knowing she was different from the other kids. And she hated it. She was born with a cleft palate. Had to bear the jokes and the stares of cruel children who teased her nonstop about her lip and her crooked nose and funny way that she talked. With all the teasing, Mary grew up hating the fact that she was different. She was convinced that no one outside of her own family could ever actually love her. Until she entered Mrs. Leonard's class. Mrs. Leonard had a warm smile, a round face, shiny brown hair. While everyone in her class liked her, Mary came to love Mrs. Leonard. In the 50s, 1950s, it was common for teachers to give everyone in their, in their class um, an annual hearing test. However, in addition to her cleft palate, Mary was also barely able to hear out of one of her ears. Determined not to let the other children have another difference to point out, Mrs. Leonard decided she would cheat on the test a little bit. The whisper test was given by having a child walk to the classroom door, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and then repeat something with the teacher whispered. Mary turned her bad ear towards her teacher and pretended to cover her good ear. She knew the teachers would often say things like, the sky is blue, or what color are your shoes, or things like that. But not on that day. See, when the whisper test came, Mary heard these words from Mrs. Leonard. She said, I wish you were my little girl. See, God is whispering in our ear today. He's whispering in your ear. It's going to sound something like this. I won't give up on you. Not going to give up on you. If our God loves us like that, what brave step can you take today? Who might you be able to encourage in that same way? God never fails. He never gives up. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I just want you to be encouraged today. He's not giving up on you. Never will. Never, ever, 
forever. That's how He loves us. God, You make us brave. It's not not always a strong rah, 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 get out there and fire up the troops kind of speech. Sometimes you whisper things into our spirit that hit us right between the eyes. You're speaking this morning, God, I believe, to our failures. There have been times in our life where we knew what was right and we didn't do it. Whether it was just greed or foolishness or indulgence, Lord, we just, we did what we wanted. And Lord, now we're paying for it. But yet again, you call to us. You promise that you haven't given up on us. You're fighting for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? This morning, God, I ask you to give us that sense of just courage deep in our soul to know that we are not alone. No matter how much time has passed, the God who promised to defend is still here. You haven't left us. God who is faithful. But today, God, we just surrender ourselves to You. Lord, we're not here to prove how strong we are. We're here to acknowledge how strong You are. God, would You make us brave today? encourage you. I'm going to ask Nikki to keep playing. Just where you are in your seat. Would you just take a minute? Let God speak to you. Perhaps you need to say some things to God. But let's just give a minute or two to respond today to whatever God is speaking in this moment. I feel like He's here and He wants to do something in us. Let's just be sensitive to whatever God is saying and close our service in just a moment. Just let God speak to you in this moment. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.